Well, welcome to Diversity and Inclusion in Action podcast. Hi, I'm BJ Davis, the Creative Director and Lead Facilitator for BJD, Leadership Training and Team Development. Here with my co-host, Scott Markowitz, the founder of Unconstrained Me. That is also one of our program facilitators as well. Hey, Scott, how are you? Hey, BJ. Hey, everyone. The Diversity and Inclusion in Action podcast is a way to explore the best practices of those that choose to lead and to also build strong alliances between all genders. This yes. month, Yes, this month we're talking about how leaders handle conflict, both to find resolution and to manage it within their teams. Our guests today are two experts when it comes to conflict resolution and management. Dr. Lou Adore, a professor at NC State, and Hunter Cruz III, an expert at helping businesses not only in their time of conflict, but also their operation and expansion, Hunter. So uh, hello both to both of you. Scott and I are so honored that you took time to be on this call. Yes, welcome both to Hunter and to Lou to our podcast. Uh, Dr. Adore, BJ has shared with me that you actually wrote your thesis on conflict management and won an award or major recognition. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and also about why conflict resolution and management is so important to you? Well, thanks for having me. Um, I, the reason why conflict is uh, really important to me, conflict management and just you know knowing how to operate within it is that we deal with it on, almost on a daily basis. So you know, in some way, shape or form. And so I think it's important to learn how to disagree better that's one frame. And I think another is just thinking about how do we do it more productively so we can manage that tension that's between task and agenda and between relationships. So I've been in the field of environmental dispute resolution for 20 plus years. And so, um, you know, the work never ends. <laughs> it's, it's always a big part of it. So learning how to manage these things pretty, pretty productively. And Hunter, you and I have known each other for quite a while. Matter of fact, you sat on the Emerging Women NC Board of Directors. I can't thank you enough for doing that. Um, And I bet you deal with conflict management often as, uh, first of all, you have three triplet teams. Lou, I'm not kidding you. This man has three teams in his house right now, all the same age. Tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) That is quite a bit. So... Yeah, Hunter, please. Well, that's probably the, the best definition definition of, of the kind of conflict expert I've become. Uh, my background has been from mostly in a CEO role, running uh, multi-million dollar companies, uh, buying and acquiring companies. Last three years up until beginning of 2020, I was working for a private equity firm. And we had a multiple of different companies, and my primary role after acquiring is working directly with the CEO and their individual leadership teams. So who you said it best as far as conflict management is is pretty much a daily thing. It's just a matter of you know how prepared are you are you are you really kind of ready to identify exactly? what's going on besides focusing on the real opportunity of how to fix it or how to make it better and strengthen your leaders around you. Anyway, that's a quick synopsis of my background. Thank you. Yes, thanks. And and Lou, I know that, you know, as as an expert in this area 
30 minutes or so is not nearly enough to really do a deep dive or to, to do this topic justice. So, I mean, the difficult question is like, what would you say we can cover in this short conversation that would give people a really good understanding about a, the importance of conflict resolution and b some of the first things and the first action steps that they can take to start addressing conflict in their organizations? So I guess the, I mean, I think we've kind of covered part of it is the, the importance and the significance, obviously, of managing conflict is because we do deal with it daily, you know, and conflict is very contextual, meaning, you know, how I might deal with it at home well, it might be very different how I might deal with it at work. And so, you know, understanding what approaches I use and why I use those are, are, are pretty important. Um, because they do vary. And um, so I would say probably the most important thing is to understand how do you approach conflict? So oftentimes people want to fix somebody else or they want to fix whatever they perceive as a problem. But I think until we really develop self-awareness about who we are in the midst of conflict, what we look like in calm, what we look like in storm, as we refer to it, I think it becomes a little capricious sometimes to think that we can just walk in and manage conflict um, because it's really a, a, a team effort. Um, it's really a part of whoever those parties are. And so I think knowing what my own approach is, what my own triggers are, are one of the things, or two of the things that are probably going to help me the most in understanding how to deal with conflict. And then lastly, I would say, what's the bigger goal? So yes. those, are, those are the, those are the probably the key things I would center on. Um, and maybe fourth is how can I meet, how can I be non-judgmental <laughs> if I'm passionate about talking? Yeah. And that, that. that's hard. So. Yes. Um, just for the sake, Scott, if you don't mind for our, our audience that's listening, why don't we define conflict so we're all on the same page? Because, you know, uh, having a different perspective from somebody else is not a bad thing. It's a great thing. It's a beautiful thing. So we're not talking about having a different perspective. What we're talking about is, Hunter, can you nail that, a term or a definition of conflict that we could use on this call? Well, uh, it's already been alluded to. It's basically two people that have totally two different goals through lack two of communication. Two different views, right? Like, isn't that right, right uh, Dr. Doerr, that conflict happens not between the views, but on the outcome, what, it, what is each one fighting for? And when those are not on the same page, that's when we have conflict. Would you say that is pretty much right? Yeah, yeah. I, I would also, and I think Hunter's on the right track because um, the other side of it is what I view as conflict, you may not, and vice versa. That's right. So go ahead, go ahead, Hunter. The, the classic example in every business is, it, is, you know, somebody in sales usually has major conflicts with somebody in operations because they're looking at, at supposedly the same problem, which is usually the customer, but they look at it in totally different ways. And um, especially from a leadership standpoint, it's uh, the best way I can say it sometimes, especially once you kind of find out that there is a conflict is uh, people will not give you their hand until they see your heart. So when you walk in the room, it's what, what Lou just said to how, how to be non-judgmental. That's a huge challenge because 
from my standpoint, I need people working together. I need people, you know, seeing the other point of view. I need people that actually recognize that whatever the conflict, that things are said, but in a positive way, without drawing lines in the sand. Um, because sometimes, even as a leader, you think you might have solved the problem. And what you didn't see was you've got one point of view that felt like they weren't heard or weren't valued. And the other point of view might feel the exact same way. But you think when you've walked away, okay, we resolved this conflict. And actually, it's nowhere close. It's people still have something more to say or Again, it gets back to how they're listened to, how they're valued in the company. And the the real leadership role is you do not walk away until you've completely addressed the adversity that's in the room. I love that. Mary Lou, back to you, best practices. Best practices to make sure that you're not drawing a line in the sand, as Hunter so eloquently put that. What are some of the best practices? So I think for me, if I, you know, if I were to maybe provide some direction for some folks about where you might go to avoid the line in the sand, I would go back to understanding how do you approach conflict. So if you're a competitive or driven person, then you're probably focused a lot on task and agenda, which tells me that there needs to be some balance on how you focus in on people because they're a part of that equation. There's always tension between those two things. And so how you manage conflict is managing that task and agenda and those relationships. So kind of, you know, thinking about how do you do both of those? And if you were somebody that avoided conflict, a best practice would be, you know, you're probably not focusing on either. And so how can you step up to the plate and, and do a better job with that? So building that self-awareness and then I think understanding what your triggers are because we have them. We have them in the workplace. We have them, you know, if we're driving home. Uh, you know, we have them if we go shopping, um, we have them at home. And so understanding what those are is really key, I think, in order to understand how do I get to a non-judgmental space and then either prepare to kind of work with somebody else on that, how we are going to manage that conflict or talk about it and, you know, think it through because I don't think you just go into a conflict and just arbitrarily just start talking about what's going to happen because most people's language, especially if they're highly emotive, is going to probably be a whole lot of ewing and a whole lot of othering, and you're going to have to let that go. Like, that's probably mm-hmm. fundamental in all of that is how do you remove the we, they, and the you? Because the only thing you can own in that moment is your own emotions, your own experiences. You cannot own it for somebody else. So that is probably a critical way to get it non-judgmental language and an approach. Yes, I love that. That's, that's easier said than done sometimes, <laughs> though, is. right? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. When you're entering into a situation where, where there's obvious conflict and, and those walls are up, what are some of the things that you can do to start removing the we and the they and the use from the conversation? Well, um, from my point of view, coming into the room, if you will, first and foremost is really uh, diagnosing what the heck the conflict really is, Um, because sometimes there's a lot of things that can be said, and I use questions 
versus statements. Instead of walking in saying, well, I hear your point of view is this, which I might be totally wrong, or I'm showing too much bias for one person versus the other. And I just use open-ended questions. You know, tell me exactly why you see the X conflict that's been defined as, as a problem. Then I use questions like, well, how, how best can we uh, address this? And I'm asking both the people in the room. I'm not just asking one or the other. And then the, at the end, it's when I think we're close to a resolution, I use the question, can I depend on you? Is this a resolution that we can take forward? I want them to buy into the own solution. I do not want to be a referee mm. constantly blowing my whistle saying, you know, you stepped out of bounds or whatever. The The solution has to be between the two because as a leader, if they're not finding ways to resolve this, they go up in value for the company immediately. It's a great opportunity. If they don't, if they don't see ways to find the right answer, then they're a detriment to the company and I'll find somebody else. I know we that know. sounds harsh. Sorry. And you've often said to me, Hunter, and I love this, Marilyn, I want to get your feedback on this. You've often said to me, the answer is always in the room. The answer is always in the room. And if there's, there, yeah. there's a real consistency to get the agenda clear, what we're here to do. And that kind of lets the other things kind of fall away, right? So setting that agenda right when you get in the room, you know, this is the agenda for what we're trying to do in this amount of time. But I love that. The answer is always in the room. Mary Lou, what, yeah. do you, what is your take on that to, to get everybody on the same page as quickly as possible? And like you said, address the relationships first. You know, like every voice matters and, and go to inclusivity on this. And, it, and I have to ask you this, since you've done so much research, is it harder for men or is it harder for women to come to conflict resolution? Or do you see that it isn't gender related? So I'll take the last one first um, for me. And this just comes from my own background and assessments and thinking about is it, is it harder for a male versus a female? I, I think that's so subjective. I think it depends on an individual. I think it, again, it depends on, you know, how they've been raised to deal with conflict. Um, if they've been raised that, you know, you need to fear it and you can't really deal with it, then it could be male or female. And, um, and I think I've seen examples of that my entire life. And so I, I don't think it's gender specific. Some people at the workplace, if you have, say, more males that are in a leadership position who may feel like it's their job to manage conflict, then um, I think it sometimes can take over what I was hearing Hunter say, which is give people the space to build their capacity for conflict management. Don't be in there trying to solve it yourself. And so sometimes I can see people in positions of leadership who feel like it's their responsibility to solve it because that's what a manager does. And I don't agree to that. I think it's up to the people that are involved to figure out what's happening, give them the tools to do that, and give them the space and the time to work through that. Um, because I think when you do, you grow leadership, you grow leaders, and those that aren't will start emerging. But if you take over, then you're taking over their own capacity building. So that's what I think about those two subjects. <laughs> oh, I think that's so important, Lou, because 
when you talk about these situations where there's different point of views and different outcomes that are desired, the, the ability to put the responsibility on the individuals involved with the conflict is empowering for them. And sometimes as leaders, we don't recognize that. And, and we do think to own that responsibility and to become the problem solver. But I love that you just really showed us that it's not that at all. It's, it's actually the opposite. When they have the ownership of the problems and they take on the ownership of the proposed resolutions, that gives them more power. And wouldn't you say that that makes them more able to solve their own conflicts in the future when, when things like that happen again? Yes, because I think you're giving them the confidence. You know, people get to practice. They're not going to, it's not going to be perfect. It never is. But if they have the fundamental, you know, skill set of kind of that non-judgmental, you know, knowing where they're coming from, you know, knowing some basic fundamental kinds of conversation cues and maybe some processes, I think people can rise to the occasion and can step out and think about, you know, what are some things that I can do? But they will need tools. If you if you go around right now and you ask, you know, any kind of class, any training, and I do it all the time, how many of you have had um, conflict management as far as a training? And probably maybe a third of the room will raise their hands if that. So it tells me something. It tells me we're not building the capacity for people to do the very thing that's happening in their lives on a daily basis. And I think conflict is a creative opportunity. I don't think it's just about the fear. I don't think it's just about what needs to be confronted. I, you know, I, there's a whole myriad of things that can be going on. And I, you know, I, I believe that we have to give it the space so that people can work that out, particularly on the job, because it is happening. And it's, it, it can certainly take up your time. And if management cannot get at all of the pieces of the conflict, then they need to be doing capacity building. They need to be doing training. And allowing that to happen and putting resources towards that is probably the fundamental. Uh, I think we all need to have some kind of dispute system. This is my own personal view. So, you know, um, but I just believe that we need to have that built into our organizations because often the conflict isn't between two people. It's three and four and five. And it can be more if that conflict has been allowed to fester. And then it gets into departments. It gets into teams. And, you know, people can start choosing sides pretty quickly if it's something that's really important and they're pretty passionate about it. And that's internal conflict. We haven't even touched public policy and just how that, yeah. But. We're living it right now in our political arena and in just our community. I think we're living a lot of con- uh, a conflict right now of trying to find that balance. Hunter and Lou, we want to thank you again. We're going to start wrapping up this call. And I want to put a challenge out there. Now, what do you think? What would be a challenge for our listeners this month around conflict? I would like everybody to go out and start a conflict. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, the challenge this, this month is where you're having the most conflict right now, just ask yourself, what are you willing to do to create a win-win for both parties? Ask yourself if you're willing to fully open yourself up to listening to the other person. And, and what are you willing to do? That's the challenge. You know, one of my favorite quotes came from Wayne Dyer, which was, conflict cannot survive without your participation. I love that. It cannot survive 
without us participating. Guys, thank you so much. You know, it's this has been a really great conversation. Doc, Dr. Lou Adder, thank you for your for sharing the the insights uh, from your research and and Hunter, thank you for sharing. The the big thing that I've taken away is that when there's two different goals, people won't give you their hand. Hunter, you said this until they've received your heart. I think that for me was the biggest takeaway uh, mm -hmm. for the evening. DJ, yeah. what was what was the biggest takeaway for you? I would say what Lou said about making sure that you're putting relationships into the equation and not just the task and the agenda, making sure those relationships are there. And you know, if our audience wants to hear not only this podcast or others, they can find us on our Facebook at BJD Leadership Training and Team Development, and you can follow us on LinkedIn. Thank you both again so much for being a part of the call tonight. Take care. We'll see you next month.